are back. Warp and Hoop Radio, Radio TV at the Cool Groove site. We come to you every Wednesday from 11 to 11.50. Glad to do so every single week. And what we do here at uh, Warp and Woof Radio is in, actually introduce uh, folks around uh, town to each other. Uh, we're really focused on community. The three bridges of our sponsoring uh, program, which is the Cominius Institute, the three bridges include uh, Bridge into Community, which is really what this radio show is all about. Polly Riddell, who was our connections officer, our chief connections officer, our CCO. Have I said all of that well enough, Polly? Thanks for being here with us today. Uh, she's the one who really makes uh, so many of these connections go, and we're grateful for that. My wife, by the way, reminded me that next month, uh, just a couple days from now, is Women's Month, and we actually have a number of women uh, signed up to be on the show, and we're looking forward to that. Uh, we're glad to be at the campus of IUPUI helping young Christian students navigate their studies and their thinking from a decidedly Christian vantage point. And then, of course, the cultural issue. We're always invested in culture, really interested in how things are happening in and around us, not only in Indianapolis, but around the world. So to our uh, conversation today, again, we're really happy uh, to have Larry here with us. Larry, just give us a, a brief introduction to yourself so that those of, a, those of the folks who didn't see you the first time um, might reconnect with you here. Well, good morning, everyone, and, and thanks, Mark, for having me on again. It's a blessing to be here. Uh, my name is Larry Smith. I'm a fifth-generation uh, Hoosier, uh, born and reared here in Indianapolis, on, mostly on the Near East Side, 34th and, and Emerson, the 46218 uh, zip code. Um, graduate of Southport High School, uh, go Cardinals. <laughs> and uh, college in Massachusetts Business School in California. Other than that, I've pretty much lived here my entire life. Began my career in corporate America, and uh, about 11 years in, uh, God had a different. Well, I, well, I finally uh, was obedient to God <laughs> and decided to leave corporate America and go to the nonprofit sector in academia, and uh, love working uh, mm -hmm. with nonprofits. Uh, and I'm also. Uh, one of the associate ministers at New Direction Church, mm. where we're leading people to a better life. So just a blessing to be here. Yeah, great. Thanks so much, Larry, again for joining us. But uh, this particular day, we're really focused on uh, the, the emphasis on Black History Month. Obviously, you know, for those of us who really care about these things, we wish these things were given month by month. <laughs> and as as many people point out, of course, uh, Black History Month gets the shortest, shortest month, month yeah. so that's another issue. But we'll bypass all of that to really get to the baseline of this conversation today, which is about the history of the history of Black History Month. And so I'd really like for you to kind of start out, let's just begin there with that conversation, okay. kind of give us a, an overview of how this came to be and why this is so important. Well, I appreciate that. So um, what we now know as Black History Month was started by a gentleman named Dr. Carter G. Woodson, Carter uh, Godwin Wood, uh, Woodson, uh, an amazing, amazing individual born in Virginia uh, in 1875. Both of his parents were enslaved. Mm. Uh, and uh, had a, a difficult uh, time as a student going to school, dirt poor. Of course, he had to work as a kid mm -hmm. to help support uh, the family, including in the coal mines of, of West Virginia. Uh, didn't become a, a high school, a full-time high school student until he was 20 years old. Wow. Uh, but then goes on uh, eventually um, to go both to the University of Chicago. He went to Berea College in Kentucky then goes on to the University of Chicago, and then finally becomes only the second African-American to earn a Ph.D. from Harvard University wow. after Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois. Mm. Uh, and so this is a man who dedicated his life to research, uh, study, 
wrote several books, the most famous of which uh, he published in 1933 called The Miseducation of the Negro. I think his first book was The Education of the Negro in the Language of His Day uh, before 1861 hmm. uh, because that was, he, he's, a, he's called the father of black history. And essentially, no one, no scholar, uh, no academician was really studying uh, black history until he comes along in, in any uh, sort of systematic way. Mm. Uh, black History Month began as Negro History Week, uh, mm. first announced in 1925, first celebrated in 1926 as, uh, as Negro History Week. Um, eventually, uh, in 1970, the students at Kent State University in February of 1970, which was when I was, when I was born, great year, oh, nice. uh, three years before the uh, infamous uprising on the campus, mm. they were the first to establish or to call for uh, Black History Month. Mm. And that was 1970. And then in 1976, President Ford becomes the first president. So 50 years after the founding of Negro History Week, President Ford becomes the first president to recognize black and call for Black History Month, uh, and uh, every president since then has has done so. Hmm. Man, I'm just a fount of knowledge <laughs> sitting next to me here, just whipping off dates and names. You know, it's very impressive stuff. Uh, the issue of history, let's talk about that for just a moment and the importance of this, because sometimes I think uh, Christians really forget, <laughs> thinking of history and remembrance, the necessity of remembering, because we do forget, uh, why this is so important. So let's talk for a moment about the why of history mm -hmm. and maybe then tie that specifically into Black History Month. I think it's a great question. So um, as the old saying goes, if we, uh, we're doomed to repeat history if, if we don't remember it, if we don't recognize it. I also am reminded of the great aphorism um, from William Faulkner, uh, the great Mississippi mm -hmm. uh, novelist uh, who wrote in, in Requiem for a Nun, uh, hit, uh, the past is never the past is never uh, dead. In fact, it isn't even past. Mm. And so, uh, mm. history is something that we have to recognize uh, and embrace as certainly as citizens of the United States, but just as as people in, in general. Um, if a if a people doesn't know their history, I think that they they are really lost in terms of uh, Black history. And I know that some people go, well, why do you have a month? Why do you have this month that's dedicated to? black history, Latino history, or women's history, and so on. And uh, the issue really is, I actually agree with you, I would I would prefer that it would be more integrated into simply history. <laughs> history. And yeah. we could just call it history. Um, but unfortunately, we've found that over time that hasn't been the case. Mm -hmm. And just personally, uh, as I said, I graduated from, from Southport High School, National Honor Society, all of that. I go off to college, uh, Williams College in Massachusetts, a, a great, great liberal arts institution, I decided to major in African American studies because I, by the time I got to this college, despite all my academic accolades, I realized I didn't know anything about my own wow. history. And wow. so that really uh, propelled me to, to major in that subject in college. Mm. This is a, a very fascinating discussion, most, mostly because I'm, I'm thinking about the reason and purpose of this history that we have before us. And really behind us, I'm I'm always mindful of that old saw that says uh, you might think the past is is done, but uh, the past is not done with you. Uh, this concept that uh, history continues to live on here uh, throughout our days. Uh, so let's tie this very specifically into what I'm sure some people will think and some people will question: Why is it that not only do we have to have a Black History Month, but 
that we have to keep bringing up our history. Some people like to, to complain that, uh, you know, enough already. You know, we've, we've talked about this thoroughly. This shouldn't be an issue anymore. Uh, let's, let's speak to that issue for a moment. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's an interesting thing. So, uh, for example, uh, I'll have a lot of discussions with, with people who are uh, our southern brothers and sisters. Uh, in particular, they will make that complaint. But then on the other hand, they'll have all these reenactments of the Civil War and dress up in, in Confederate or Union uh, garb and, and do battle reenactment, reenactments and so on. So what I've found is that it's not that people are opposed to history. They're opposed to history that they don't like or, or <laughs> are uncomfortable with. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we, we all sit around in our families and, and, and talk about our family, your, and, and, and all these things that have been handed down mm -hmm. over generations. And so it's, it's not so much that they don't like history. It's that anything that, that makes them uncomfortable, they don't really want, uh, want to talk about. And so, uh, so I'm hopeful that uh, through dialogue uh, that we can first recognize uh, history if, and if we really want to move past it, interestingly enough, we can look to uh, South Africa. When Nelson Mandela is released, eventually he sets up the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Uh, notice that the, the T comes before the R, Truth before Reconciliation. Uh, so, uh, And essentially, he led the movement to forgive the Afrikaners for what they had done. He imprisoned him personally on Robben Island for 27 years but understood that if South Africa was going to move forward, they both have to, had to recognize the history of apartheid and what it had done, but then also um, uh, say, okay, we have that shared history. It's, it's uh, unfortunate, a lot of you know, murder and, and everything else, but now that we've addressed it, we can, we can move forward. And so I, I think there needs to be the equivalent of a kind of a, a social pact, a social truth and reconciliation in America for the same reasons. One of the things that strikes me about this right where we live is that uh, we all know, for instance, that IUPUI actually um, sits on the raised, R-E-Z-E-D, neighborhoods of African-American uh, families. Um, what, what would you say to people who uh, would really want to make a statement about this, uh, not just at places like IUPUI, but everywhere, um, what would you say about Apology, asking for forgiveness. Um, how does that go about? How do those things happen? Yeah, I think so. Uh, first, is, it's back to the truth, the recognition, mm -hmm. or even just the knowledge of the history. Because not mm -hmm. only are those uh, those wonderful buildings uh, sitting on, on top of those lands, but in a sense, you know, in a metaphorical sense, the history is buried as well. And right. So right. you know, it's it's first of all bringing that history to the forefront. Uh, there, I can tell you uh, from personal experience, there are children and grandchildren of the African Americans whose homes were there. It was a thriving community. It's across the street from the Madam Walker Theater, the historic yeah. Madam Walker Theater, um, who these uh, children and grandchildren uh, do strongly believe that their parents and grandparents were essentially cheated out of their homes. I mean, they were sure. given some amount of compensation, but not nearly enough. And so it's important uh, to recognize that, to address it, to have dialogue, and, but then also to find out, you know, how can we honor those who, who came uh, before? Uh, and there, there's so, you know, it, it, I'm always amazed. If you don't know Indiana's history, go down to the Indiana History Center. Um, there are so many exhibits around, certainly African-American history and other aspects of our history. We just, we just need to know it. Yeah, one of uh, not very far from here, actually, Englewood um, Christian Church mm -hmm. on Rural uh, Street actually has a, uh, one of the cornerstones of one of their buildings from the 1920s 
uh, still has the clan signification. Mm -hmm. And the reason why, of course, they keep it is to not forget history. Uh, the necessity of this seems to be pretty obvious to anybody who's really considering it. And I'm thinking now about Attics, the school that opened the city, mm -hmm. the documentary uh, that Mr. Green put together, a uh, really phenomenal uh, piece of uh, history by itself in terms of documentarian uh, processes. So I'm thinking about that as it relates to things like this. Is it necessary then for us to continue to create these historic, uh, they can be video, they can be books, whatever, is it important for us to continue to create these things into the future? I, I absolutely think that it is. And just, you mentioned Christmas Addicts. As a side note, my maternal grandfather actually played with the Big O. Oh and my. Christmas Addicts played with Oscar Robertson. <laughs> uh, some, even today, would argue is, is the greatest player uh, ever in history. Yes, sorry to the MJ fans or LeBron <laughs> fans. Uh, but yes, I think it is important. For example, if you go to Germany... Uh, there are many reminders of its Nazi past, and mm. the, the thing that I like about what the Germans do is they, you know, they keep uh, the uh, they keep this history alive, but they'll put it in context. Yes. And so there'll be a plaque uh, explaining the atrocities and so on. And there's a great debate in our country now, particularly in the South, about Confederate monuments and, and all of that, or and naming of streets and mm -hmm. their protests and so on. And we know about Charlottesville. Um, I, my own view is I, I wouldn't mind the monuments staying up if they're put in historical context. That is important to me. This is, uh, this is fascinating that you mentioned that. I actually, uh, <laughs> when Charlottesville jumped off, I, I put on social media, I stand with my black brothers and sisters, hashtag Charlottesville, mm -hmm. and a white nationalist came after me. Mm -hmm. And so he put 10,000 words on my Facebook page. I actually archived this mm -hmm. so I could keep it. And, uh, you know, people were wondering uh, how I was going to respond to that. And so I so I always respond on Tuesdays. So that's when I put my stuff out. And I'll respond in 500 words. Mm. So you can go and read my, it's entitled Charlottesville. I will check that and uh, then after that, we followed it up with uh, statues, which was about that very issue. So to this point, uh, one of the mayors, and I've, I've forgotten now uh, what city this is in, African-American mayor who said, no, we don't need to take those statues down. We need to do exactly what you said, put up the plaque, put it in context, remember our history, let's not forget it, and let's not do that again. Right, absolutely. Could, could not agree more. We we need to embrace, uh, that, not embrace in the sense of, of loving that history, but embrace it uh, because it, it is a part of American history, and we just our, our kids need to understand it. Um, and even when we do uh, learn about it, or learn about it, and again, unfortunately, especially uh, in, in the South, yeah. for example, if you read some of the history books where they talk about Reconstruction and yeah. how it was this horrible time and the African Americans failed, which is the exact opposite mm -hmm. of what happens. Uh, Tony Easy Coates, great author, great author uh, writer, uh, wrote a book. Uh, we were eight years in power, where he addresses that issue head on, and what he says is that it's not that. Uh, white America was afraid of bad Negro government. It was afraid of good Negro government, mm -hmm. which is a, a lot of the rights, a lot of the uh, statutes and so on that we have today actually came out of Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, you know, we, we know about the, the Dirty Deal with Tilden and all of that. Uh, historically, uh, the corrupt bargain, uh, as it's called, and so the troops were, were removed and, and the South was able to do what it did. And, and, and let me say this, because I don't know if we have some Southerners listening. I am not saying that only the South had its issues clearly here uh, in, in Indiana. We were a what, what is called historically a free soil state, which means that we, we eschewed slavery, um, but did not 
have a welcoming environment for African Americans. And so I didn't want to make it seem like the South was all bad and the North is all good because sure. we know historically that is that's not the case at all. Yes. And these things, you know, arise out of a, from a decidedly Christian point of view, when we think about the sinfulness of man, we're not talking about these things rising out of the roots of ethnicity or out of class or out of place. This is something that rises out of every human heart. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what Jesus said, uh, these are the things that that make a man unclean, that which comes from within him. Mm -hmm. So we're concerned, of course, that the change that takes place needs to be an internal change. And so for you and I, those of us who are believers, we actually believe that that is the remedy, that ultimately these things change because of that. So let's shift gears just for a moment to uh, address that particular issue. As Christians, Mm -hmm. what should we be doing uh, to actually address these issues more specifically? We've in our first 10 minutes or so, we've kind of given this overview of where we are historically in America, just a brief thumbnail sketch. But how do we as Christians now engage this? Do we as uh, pastors or uh, teaching leaders uh, need to get up uh, every Sunday and apologize for the past? Uh, is there some kind of uh, declaration that we should make? Um, what is our responsibility as Christians? Yeah, I think that there should be multiple ways in which we uh, address this. So. Uh, For example, you look at what the Southern Baptist Convention has been doing recently, uh, recognizing their pro-slavery past, and and it's it's been painful. I'm not not a Southern Baptist, but I've I've read a lot about uh, the resolutions that they have passed and so on. And, you know, slowly but surely, they are sort of moving forward with this dialogue. I I don't think, you know, that it requires um, an apology each Sunday, but but what I do think is that uh, one of the things that, you know, grieves me, uh, grieves Dr. King and, and most Christians is, is this, you know, sort of de facto segregation that we have in the church each mm-hmm. Sunday. You know, he said, you know, 55 years ago or so, 11 o'clock Sunday morning, most segregated hour in America remains so, unfortunately, today. Some progress in that regard. Um, but we, uh, it, it's sort of after church uh, and, you know, before church. Um, we're, if, if we're not together before we go into the sanctuary, we're not going to be together in the sanctuary. And so I think we need to have these uh, intentional ongoing dialogues uh, across uh, uh, across race within the Christian community. One of the big things that we've done, uh, HB and I in particular, you know, since we've started the show, is make sure that uh, we have a cross section of the citizenry of Indianapolis, and principally, uh, our biggest concern is bridging cultures, and specifically. Uh, black and white leaders bringing them together. That's always been a big concern for us and something that we actually want to say to people, look, we are together, we are talking about issues, we are having these kinds of conversations. Uh, we don't necess- we don't maybe live next door to each other, but nonetheless, we're still getting together and having these conversations. Mm-hmm. So uh, just for the sake of, uh, of asking this very personal, specific question, mm-hmm. uh, which of the two sites do you attend at your church? Uh, the North location, eighty sixth. Okay, so and what time is your service? Ten a.m. Ten a.m. Okay, I'm gonna show up someday. Would love that. <laughs> would, would absolutely love that. Yeah, ten o'clock. So I teach in the fall mm-hmm. uh, at my church, and uh, so I've got more opportunities in the springtime. So awesome. I'll make sure to get over there uh, to do that. It's something I think that you know. Just on that note, uh, it's something that we really to back to your word intentional. We really need to make the step. Mm-hmm toward each other. Uh, we need to make sure that this is happening in our own lives, personally, 
before we can say, gee, why doesn't this happen as a community? Yeah, it's got to be personal first. Yeah. Yeah, it begins with me. Yeah. So uh, we're listening. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We're going to take a one-song break, but when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Larry Smith about Black History Month and uh, the other concerns that kind of have spun off of this in our conversation so far. Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv. We're going to take a one-song break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We are back again. Today, I am joined by Larry Smith. We're having a conversation about Black History Month and the importance of some of the things that kind of revolve around this. We were just having a conversation on Facebook Live and now back with a podcast about the importance of legacy and so the importance of, of who we are going to leave behind. So, Larry, let's talk for a moment about the importance of that as it relates to Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Why is it so important for you, for instance, as an African-American man, to help younger African-American men to both not forget their past, where they've come from, what's gone before them, but also about what they should anticipate and do for the future. Yeah, so I I think in particular with young African-American men, we were talking uh, before the show began, uh, literally across the street from uh, my church, uh, one of the local businesses was, was robbed earlier this week at gunpoint by two teenage uh, African-American young men and uh, you know, that is painful and, and not not I, I'm not uh, so Pollyannish as to think well you know give them a history book and, and you know crime goes away and, and all that but I do think that to the extent that uh, these young people understand you know where they came from mm-hmm. the sacrifices that uh, people made uh, for them fought and died most of their names will never you know we know you know Martin Luther King and Harriet mm-hmm. Tubman Frederick Douglass etc but even uh, their own grandparents and great-grandparents, the sacrifices that they made, I, I think is uh, so incredible um, to help them understand where, uh, what the possibilities are, uh, what we've you know, overcome uh, as a people and so on. So I, I just think that that's incredibly important. When you think about this and when you talk about this with young people, uh, your own children, anybody's children, uh, about these kinds of ideas, what are some of the principles that you try to instill in them to help them to remember or understand their current context in light of history? Yeah, so first of all, uh, I always, you know, they, um, my, so I have two little ones. I have an older daughter, uh, 32, but also an 11-year-old and a 13-year-old, 11-year-old son, 13-year-old daughter. And I am, they know I'm a news junkie, right? So every morning, if I'm take, taking them to school or picking them up, most likely the radio station is going to be on NPR. I'm just a, a news consumer. At night, I'm watching the news, local, uh, national, international news as well. So that's just kind of always been in the atmosphere. And you know, my part of the reason I do it is hopefully some of that will filter down through them. But by osmosis, just a, a love of knowledge, mm-hmm. uh, a love of history, mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, being even more intentional in that. Uh, you know, I'll take them to half price books mm-hmm. and say, you know, let's uh, let's uh, you know. Whatever you know, books you, you want to get, because I, I want to inculcate that love of reading that I had just by nature when I was growing up. But then I will also, uh, from time to time, direct them to books around history, uh, so they can they can know that as well. And I know they're they're getting some of it in school as well. But I think again, the research shows that parents are still yes, we have athletic stars, we have 
uh, uh, role models in, in the entertainment industry, but parents are still the most influential people uh, in terms of kids. And so uh, I, I think it's incredibly important to foster that sense of the importance of educating themselves uh, even outside of school. One of the sadnesses to me as an educator is that uh, we might know, let's say, the head coach of the University of Michigan, mm -hmm. but who is the department head and the Department of History Absolutely. at the University of Michigan? Absolutely. Uh, so we really don't even know who the academics are. And even sometimes we don't know what the academics believe because everybody's coming at these things from different vantage points, right. which is also something to consider. Let's talk uh, about the importance of this within our city. And since we're talking about academics, let's talk about places like IUPUI, Butler, uh, U of Indy, uh, places like this, where we actually have individuals who are running university settings. What would you say to them as an African-American man within the context of Black History Month, but in the context of history as a whole? Mm -hmm. What is necessary for them to be doing at their universities to make sure that not only history is kept alive, mm -hmm. but that people uh, who actually maybe have lived it and lived through it mm -hmm. are actually teaching there? Well, uh, as I think I said on the the first time I was here, I'm, I'm an etymology geek, and so if if you look at the word education, it literally means to lead out, right? And so if, if you're the president of one of one of our many great institutions, Butler, IUPUI, etc., uh, certainly it's now I'm not a college president, so it's easy for me to say they have to spend a lot of time raising money. That just goes with, without without saying. However, I think it's also important to lead by example. Mm -hmm. And so when they're out front uh, on these issues, like as our chancellor is at IUPUI, um, he has been a leader in many areas, in, including in this sort of um, issue around history of our, of our city, the history of IUPUI, how African-Americans have impacted it. Um, so he, he has been a, a great, not that there aren't others, it's just that's the one I'm most familiar sure. with. Yeah. Uh, personally, having had uh, a couple of roles at, at IUPUI. So leading by example, because one thing that I learned, uh, you know, began my career in corporate America, was whatever the head of the organization talks about, uh, demonstrate in his or her own behavior, uh, rewards and recognizes, that's what's actually important. So, mm -hmm. uh, so when leaders do that, when they recognize and reward and encourage and talk about these issues, you, you know, it's, it's actually important. I'm reminded here of, um, of the opening of schools and specifically uh, de desegregation and uh, Governor Wallace standing mm -hmm. in the doorway of the school and, uh, of course, the difficulty that arose because of this. And I was thinking, and I think I've seen some other people uh, reference this as well, what would it have been like if Dwight David Eisenhower had come? and led that march into that school. Oh, that would have been unbelievable. You know, uh, President Eisenhower, you know, for those who may not be aware, he was this, uh, one of my, probably my favorite title of all, all time, Supreme Allied Commander <laughs> uh, in, in World War II. Uh, but, you know, he had that military background. Uh, people don't, uh, don't really know generally, incredibly intelligent man. Um, but if, if he had not merely uh, sent the National Guard down there, but had gone down there himself uh, in, 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 you know, 55 or so, that would have spoken volumes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he, he was an interesting guy, very, you know, quiet, very cerebral, I believe wanted to do the right thing. But, but I also think, and, you know, it's, it's easy not to, for, to forget about this, but you know, there were a lot of people who thought we were on the brink of another civil war at that mm -hmm. time. And so, um, 
you know, he was careful to send in, for the most part, uh, the National Guard, not the United States military, uh, uh, because the, you know, there were people who were very concerned about a, a hot war in that regard. But to your, to your point about his, um, you know, we call it moral authority, right? Mm -hmm. uh, leaving the bully pulpit and, and being there physically, I, I think, would have uh, been phenomenal. Mm. This is always, uh, I th always think about these things as it relates to my own responsibility to be with my black brothers and sisters uh, in situations and statements of importance to them. Last night, for instance, you were you and I were talking about uh, seeing Aaron's story down there mm -hmm. in the IPS building. I was actually down there uh, to uh, talk with the people there about their protest mm -hmm. about uh, the educational system and so on. Um, let's talk for a minute about the importance of systemic problems uh, within uh, our culture as a whole. And I don't mean by that just the black community. I mean our culture as a whole. Do you think that there are ways to overcome systemic issues? You know, you mentioned the two young men, for instance, that held up the, the store at gunpoint and so on. Uh, we recognize the problem of violence. We recognize the problem of guns on the streets, all that kind of stuff. How do we begin to overcome the problems that literally are woven through the culture? Yeah, I, I think this is, um, in Chinese, there, there's a character that means challenge or opportunity, depending on how it's used. Mm. And I think this is our great challenge slash opportunity uh, as Christians to uh, affect the culture in a, in a positive way. It, it, uh, it does grieve me um, that often uh, the face of Christianity is one that is not smiling, that is you know, angry, <laughs> that is judgmental, mm. and, and certainly... Uh, I believe we should have righteous indignation about you know sin and things that go wrong, but I also think that there's an opportunity for us to uh, show the love of Christ uh, to embrace uh, people. Um, I put something on on Facebook a couple of weeks ago about uh, you know no human uh, is irredeemable. Uh, we we have to uh, go in and embrace these young people, but also set the example because at the end of the day. Um, young people will follow not what we say, but what they see us do. Mm -hmm. And so if they see us not getting along with each other, whether it's intraracial or interracial, mm -hmm. they are going to pick up those habits. Uh, kids are not born bigots. They're not born criminals. Uh, and so it, because of their environment, because of the things that they learn, and because of you know, the d depravity of the human heart mm -hmm. uh, that, that can harden over time, mm -hmm. um, if, if we don't reach them early enough, then that is going to be the natural result. Mm -hmm. Our concern here today is uh, for Black History Month, but our, our conversation has gone in lots of different directions. Uh, you're hearing uh, Mark Eckel and Larry Smith talk about these kinds of things on Facebook Live. Those of you later on with the podcast will also be uh, hearing this as well. So, Larry, uh, we've got about 10, 12 minutes left. Uh, let's talk uh, generally about the importance that we have in our uh, responsibility as individuals. Um, your responsibility, my responsibility. What are some of the things outside of the news mm -hmm. that you that you wake up thinking about as it relates to, uh, let's say, the necessity of bringing cultures together? Yeah. So I had uh, the opportunity uh, last uh, in the last week and a half or so to speak uh, to uh, the defense uh, finance organization DFAS for their Black History Month uh, celebration. And one of the things that I talked about while I was there was this importance of you know trying to bridge these gaps to bring cultures together. And so, you know, I, I do frequently wake up um, trying to you know to think about 
what can I do personally to engage uh, people who are in whatever way different uh, mm -hmm. from me? Uh, even on my Facebook page, people know that I, I have everyone from the most left liberals to the most uh, right conservative. <laughs> uh, but to try to just to get us to talk without demonizing each other. Mm -hmm. uh, my goal is rarely to get people to agree because uh, you know, there are certainly things that I'm never going to change my mind about, but I, I want us to at least to be able to have a dialogue without demonizing each other. And I think it really begins there. And, and by the way, not I, I say I, I mentioned Facebook, but not just virtually, but in person uh, as as well. Because you know, I think that's kind of the blessing and curse of social media. It's a lot easier to be you know, mean and dismissive, et cetera, when you're not looking oh, at somebody yeah. face to face. Yeah. Um, but when you when you actually take the time to have that dialogue uh, with people in person uh, to work through uh, some very, very uh, painful, I, I won't say his name, but there's a friend of mine, white male, older than I am, very successful business owner. I mean, we, we really fight it out about uh, some issues on Facebook, but then we come together in person and get together and, and really just talk just, you know, over over a meal um, and you know, I share my perspective. He shares his. Um, we, we again, we don't leave always agreeing. But one, we want to reaffirm our, our friendship because it can get pretty heated in the mm -hmm. virtual world sometimes. But also to say, you know, this is why I think the way I do, and I, I think he's uh, had in, in some influence on me. I think I've had some influence on him as well. Mm -hmm. This uh, concept of digital versus real. Um, I've been talking with people a lot lately about. Uh, not witness, but withness, mm -hmm. that we have to be with each other. Mm -hmm. And that means sitting next to each other like this, talking with each other, looking each other eye to eye. Um, and you're right about the digital world, the stuff that people say on social media they would never say to somebody Absolutely. else's face, uh, which is a, a great sadness by in and of itself. So uh, let's talk about the concerns that we have uh, generally about going forward. Let's think about what future things might be. Let's posit some um, some good things to consider for the future and how this might actually look. Maybe how we participate in it, uh, but what we can tell others about, hey, this might be a great way to go. What, do you, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, so um, again, one of the things that I uh, do a lot is, is, is quote from, uh, from Dr. King. And one of the things he talked about was uh, the myth of time. You know, this notion that, well, in 10 or 15 or 20 years, things will inherently be better. And of course, it's not true. It's only what you do you know, in, in that space that will, will help uh, us to have the kind of world that, and nation that we want. Having uh, said that, though, if, if you look at, you know, Generation Z uh, today, you know, these young people are uh, growing up um, in, in a world where they're, you know, certainly very integrated on, online, but, uh, but in, in person as, as well. And, uh, you know, there's, a, there's this, you know, cross-pollinization that, that goes on. Now, we, we do see a lot of issues of intolerance as well around, uh, around uh, race, uh, you know, this rise of anti-Semitism, even among young people, very young people, um, which is, you know, very, very disturbing. Um, so, again, I, I go back to that modeling that behavior. What they see uh, their parents and other adults in their community do they're going to to mirror that, and you know the flip side of that, of course, is that you know we're not going to always uh, agree. I, I saw a meme on Facebook the other day that says uh, nothing brings out your uh, inner gangster like your teenage daughter, uh, and I, I can I testify that that is true. Uh, but but continuing to have these you know these very tough dialogues you know with our children uh, so they can see that we don't always have the answers and that we don't always agree, 
but that at least we're open open to hearing what they have to say uh, in addition to kind of uh, uh, trying to be role models in that regard for them. Do you know of any kind of, uh, we talked just briefly about interfaith uh, commitments, have you seen any kind of interpastoral uh, commitments with each other between the black and the white community? Uh, the, you know, every, every now and then, I, uh, what's the organization, Faith in, in Indy? Uh, I'm trying to, that might be the name. Um, but I, I've, uh, you know, seen, seen a little bit of that. I, my supposition is, and, and frankly my hope is, that um, some of this is going on out of the glare of, of cameras and news and, and all of that. I don't know that it goes on greatly. Uh, very frequently, I, I know that you know uh, my pastor Ken Sullivan Jr. does that as, as well. Um, but yes, the, this this is an area in which I think you know, the the church really ha pastors lay people really really have have to lead in this area. <clears throat> when I was at that protest last evening, I just mentioned a few moments ago, uh, one of the questions I asked some of the folks on the street corner was, uh, "What do you think?" Uh, is the responsibility of the faith-based community here in this particular protest. And the response from some of them were, were was a statement that kind of took me back a bit. Uh, they said, I'm not religious. Mm. And then they said, uh, you know, every once in a while the pastors show up, but only when the cameras are on. Mm. Now, I'm not suggesting anything negative about any group or individual or church. That's not the point here. But it is uh, interesting to say, here are people who are not believers who recognize right. that there's something missing and that even uh, when, that, when that something is there, there's still something missing because it's just about the facial recognition. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, I, there, I, there, I, I agree there's, there's some, some truth to that. Um, having said that, you know, but mo most of the work really, because we, you know, we sort of battle with these issues, uh, several of these issues in, in the church. You know, uh, the pastors are only about money or they're only yeah. about, you know, and we, we know that, that most pastors are bivocational, right? They're not, they're not driving around in Rolls Royces and, and all that or, 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 or people who are non-believers or former believers or struggling believers say, well, I don't want to just give my money to that man. And, you know, I, so, you know, certainly financial transparency is important, um, People seeing the fruits of their tithes and offering, very, very uh, important. But at the end of the day, we, uh, you, you know, I, th I think Aristotle said that we, we shouldn't judge any uh, belief system by its worst exponents. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing there. But, yeah, let's acknowledge, yes, there are some pastors, there are some individuals, period, that appeals to their humanity, whoever they are. But at the end of the day, um, we, we can't just not do the good work because not everyone is in it for the right reasons. Uh, and then, and then the other thing is, you know, uh, pray for them, those who are believers, that their hearts would be pure. That you know, it's it's um, you know, we all have vanity in, in, in one way or another. And so, all, asking God, you know, ensure that my heart is pure, that my motives are pure, um, in terms of why I'm engaging in this work. You know, not about. Uh, self-aggrandizement. It's, it's really about trying to do the work that he has called all of us to do, to, to reconcile to each other, as, as the Bible calls it. Over and over and over again, we've, uh, at this particular program, said that the focal point, the hinge upon which this door swings is Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14, to do good, do good, do good. Uh, when I'm reading uh, the apostles, uh, Peter or Paul or John, <clears throat> their emphasis is never uh, do good with these caveats. Do good with these exceptions. Do good only in these neighborhoods. Uh, it's just do good. 
And the idea, of course, seems to be a universal. Mm -hmm. It's not simply just about one person or here are some things to watch out for. No, you just go and do good. Um, I hate to repeat that phrase, but quite frankly, sometimes I think it needs to be repeated over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. So when we think about the doing of goodness, uh, we're really concerned about just finding our place to do this good thing, whatever that good thing is. Right. A absolutely. And uh, people can, you know, pick up the, the newspaper, you know, talk to their friends, however they get their news by, you know, social media. I think I read not too long ago that, you know, young people get most of their news from Instagram. Mm. Uh, which is that just sort of blows my mind uh, that's not when I think of Instagram that's not what I think I think of people posting pictures about their yeah. you know, beach parties or whatever <laughs> uh, but uh, they're getting most of their new in, in, in any case from social media some from YouTube and, and so on and so we have to recognize that you, know, you, you meet people where they are and so for, for if it's very young people if you want them to know about opportunities you gotta, gotta teach yourself about social media uh, for you know those of us who are, who are a bit older, um, it, being intentional about expanding our, our networks, mm -hmm. looking for where the need is, and, and as you say, yes, do good as yeah. much as we can. So we're coming down to the end of this particular program uh, where we've been talking about Black History Month. Uh, Larry Smith has been giving us not only the details and background of this, but also uh, the interconnectivity about how do we think differently as Christians and then some of the why that goes along with that. Uh, always have to apologize for this phone that goes off, and I can't shut this thing off when, when we're actually online. It's just such a bummer. So, uh, Larry, in the last couple of minutes that we have here today, uh, leave us with what you think we should always consider when we're thinking not just about Black History Month, mm -hmm. but about the history of the African-American population in the United States, um, the importance of direction for the future. Take it in whatever way you want to go. So the last couple of things, again, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. One thing I would say, a lot of people ask, why February? Mm -hmm. So February was chosen because it, uh, it's the birthday month both of Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. That's why it was chosen. One black man, one white man. And if you, if you look at what they did, Frederick Douglass was actually the most photographed person in the 19th century. Um, and he was a, a man who said, uh, he's famous for saying many things, but one was agitate, agitate, agitate. Always uh, be pushing forward. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, you know, certainly the great liberator. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, um, when I get discouraged about what I see going on in, in my community, my state, you know, nation, the world, uh, I do reflect upon uh, the Fannie Lou Hamers of the world, the Sojourner Truths, the people who came before me and who endured. And I, uh, you, you know, they're, I think they're among that great cloud of witnesses that Paul talks about, uh, sort of compelling uh, me to keep going to, uh, uh, in spite of the odds. I'm not always optimistic, but I'm always hopeful because I think as a person of, of faith, you, you have to be hopeful. There is a future. Uh, we know what the future is from a Christian vantage point. Uh, we anticipate not only the millennial kingdom, but we also anticipate that time when uh, God will renew all things, that famous line in Second Peter chapter 3. You've been listening to Warp and Woof Radio, radionext.tv at the Cold Roof site. Today we've been listening to Larry Smith talk about Black History Month, but uh, beyond that, uh, the reasons why so many different things are important in our culture and the importance of doing good. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're grateful for the opportunity. Looking forward to the next time. Until next week, we'll see you then.